Just a word of warning before we start. This podcast contains sounds of gunfire and descriptions of violent death that some listeners may find disturbing. This is the third episode of Gunplay, and if you haven't heard episode one, you'll probably want to go back and start there. It's March 2018, and we're in Washington, D.C. The Cry Havoc actors from Dallas have just encountered a group of elementary-age student protesters. They're marching on the National Mall. It's a relatively small group, maybe 70 kids, but they're about to join a couple thousand students who are meeting up on the lawn of the U.S. Capitol. All of this is part of a movement. Students from nearly 3,000 schools across the country are taking part in the National School Walkout. The walkout was inspired by the survivors of the high school shooting in Parkland, Florida, a month earlier. Cry Havoc and I were on our way to interview Texas Senator John Cornyn in his office. But outside the metro station, there they were, all of these kids marching and chanting on the mall. So we followed them, and once we got to the Capitol lawn, it was pandemonium. don't know what, because it was over there, now it's shifting. Yeah, that's from right there. It's Bernie Sanders. There were thousands of kids of all ages. Some were shouting, others just held signs. That girl had a really good sign. It said, the only thing easier to buy than a gun is a GOP candidate. It's like, oh, okay, going there. Jemiah Parker decided to make the most of the moment. She wants to know about the fervor motivating protesters like 17-year-old Arielle Duran from Kensington, Maryland. What are you doing here today? We're protesting gun violence because enough is enough. Too many people have died under the hands of the NRA and the unjust gun laws. Too, it's too easy to purchase guns. It's way too easy. Trinity Gordon has a very empathetic nature. Meeting these protesters has moved the 18-year-old senior. Oh my God, this is so beautiful. I'm like about to cry. And these kids are like, they're the same ages as the Sandy Hook survivors. It's beautiful. I'm Jerome Weeks, arts reporter for KERA in North Texas. I'm Hadi Mawagdi, reporting fellow for Guns in America. And this is the third episode of Gunplay. You'll recall these students we're following have been looking into America's rancorous gun debate to create their own play about it. In fact, they just flew in from Connecticut, where they met with the parents of children shot to death at Sandy Hook Elementary. And now they're in Washington, D.C. with a full schedule. They'll be talking with politicians, lobbyists, and Senate aides about legislation. So that's why we're headed to Senator John Cornyn's office. He's running for re-election this fall, in 2020. But remember, the student's visit was in 2018. At the time, Cornyn was the chief sponsor of a measure called the Fix-Nix Act. Fix-Nix is the bill that plugs a small hole in the background check system for gun purchases. And Cornyn successfully pushed it through the Senate in 2018. To put that effort into context, you need to remember what happened just four and a half months before this trip to D.C. What happened back in Cornyn's home state of Texas, in a town called Sutherland Springs. 
Here's one thing we've learned about the shooting at a church in Texas on Sunday. The rifle used to kill 26 people and injure many more was sold to the gunman because of an error by the U.S. Air Force. The gunman joined the Air Force in 2010. While enlisted, he was court-martialed for assaulting his then-wife and infant stepson. The Air Force should have forwarded that information to the FBI to be included in a background check database for gun sales. It never happened. Sutherland Springs was the deadliest mass shooting in Texas history. The anger and grief were overwhelming. People mocked what had already become a ritual. Political leaders repeatedly offering thoughts and prayers. Meanwhile, the politicians failed to do anything to stop more mass shootings. After Sutherland Springs, this is what Cornyn said to the Senate Judiciary Committee. And every day we let the current dysfunction in the background check system continue, lives are in jeopardy. So I hope we will do something, but that that something will make a difference and save lives. We can do it. And that's from a man who had an A-plus rating from the NRA. Still does. He earned that for doing things like voting against a semi-automatic weapons ban. It would have banned firearms like the AR-15-style rifle used to kill all of those people in Sutherland Springs. But the AR-15 is also the weapon that bystander Stephen Williford used to help stop the Sutherland Springs shooter. So all that is why Cry Havoc wants to meet Senator Cornyn and ask him some questions about gun violence and what he's been doing about it. Are you excited to talk to a senator and to some folks working in the legislature? I am. I want to know, like, I don't know if they'll answer this, but, like, your first job is a politician, but then again, you're a person first. So how hard is it to decipher what to do politically and separate it from what you would do morally? Or does it fall into the same thing sometimes, you know? Trinity Gordon loves politics, philosophy, and debate club. It's why Cry Havoc Theater's documentary approach to theater, interviewing people to create a script, appeals so much to her. So Trinity's looking forward to asking Senator Cornyn about morality and politics and our eternally stalled arguments over guns and Second Amendment rights. After all the public anger and anguish over the shooting deaths in Sutherland Springs in November 2017, Senate Majority Whip Cornyn successfully did something. He helped push the Fix-Nicks Act through Congress. Fix-Nicks provides new financial incentives to states and agencies to report violent criminals to the FBI's background check system. Since 1998, more than 3 million gun purchases have been blocked by the system. That's less than 1% of all background checks. And obviously, it didn't stop the Sutherland Springs shooting. So back to the reason Cry Havoc's in D.C. in the first place. The actors wanted to meet with Senator Cornyn, but ended up meeting with a legislative assistant. She spoke with them, but told me I wasn't allowed to record anything. That's okay. Um, I, I do sincerely apologize for that. It's just our office policy. Okay. Afterwards, I talked with actors Jemiah Parker and Mary Bandy. Do you guys feel satisfied with your interview? Not really. Yeah, she didn't really know that much. I mean, she told she told us a lot of stuff that we had already researched about the Nixon Amendment, and she couldn't really tell us anything 
about any other amendments related to that. It kind of looked like she looked up a Wikipedia article <laughs> about uh, John Cornyn's impact on gun control in the United States. Not, not to be mean, but that's what, that's what it sounded like. It seems Cryhavik's first encounter with Washington politics is a polite brush-off. But later that same day, as the cast gathers at their hotel, their director, Mara Richards-Bim, surprises them. It turns out they'll be attending Senator Cornyn's Texas Thursday coffee the very next morning. The director says an assistant from Cornyn's office contacted her. Senator Cornyn's Texas Thursday coffee is a weekly event during the legislative session. All you have to do is RSVP for a chance to chat with the senator himself. At the meeting, there are more than 100 people here, representing dozens of organizations. Because of that, this week's meeting is held in a large room in a Senate building. Lining every wall are dark wooden shelves filled with law books, and there are leather club chairs in the corner. As we walk in, I chat with high school senior Andrew Beeson. He's a big, quiet guy who chose theater over athletics. I think it looks amazing. Yeah? Have you ever been in a room like this? I have never. Oh, look, there he is. Oh, buenos dias. Have you ever seen him before? No. I've never seen any senator. Really? Not in person. Legislative aides usher the people into a line to wait their turn to meet with Cornyn. Briefly. We're told we'll be the very last people to speak with him. But that's actually good news. It means we'll have more time alone with the senator. And then I'm asked to put my microphone away. So, how'd the chat go? Did the students get to ask Cornyn any questions? They did. But the session does not go the way any of us imagined. Cornyn graciously introduces himself to each of the teens. He asks about their play. He spends nearly 20 minutes taking questions. They ask him if he thinks teachers should have guns. He says not all of them. Maybe the ones with prior military or police experience. They ask him about fixed nicks. He tells them how the mass shooting in Sutherland Springs changed everything for him. Cornyn explains to the cast that fixed nicks may help prevent gun violence, but he also admits it's not enough. And that candor goes a long way to winning over the students. Even 16-year-old Angie Hogue, who's been outspoken in advocating for gun regulations, even Angie is impressed. We kind of, I feel like we've a little bit painted the people on the other side to appear a little bit evil. Um, But Cornyn, I feel like the way he spoke to us, it felt like we had some, like I said last night, I I wanted some more like respectable, like, opposite side answers and I feel like Cornyn gave us some so that you go okay I can see where he got that not necessarily that I agree but I like understand his thought process now yeah Sheldrick Pearl hoped Cornyn was going to talk about doing something more to restrict access to guns the 18 year old lives in a high crime neighborhood and believes it's just too easy to get one um, I thought it was going to be a lot faster, but I like the fact that he really, like, listened yeah. and tried to answer all of our questions. How did that make you feel? Does it make you feel, like, special? Well, yeah, like he actually cared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he actually wanted some of the same solutions that we wanted. Yeah. Throughout their time in D.C., the cast speak with lobbyists for and against new gun laws. They also chat with an aide for Senator Ted Cruz. But in a real-life civics lesson... By the end of their week in Washington, what the student actors seem to understand a little better is how Congress doesn't function. Some 
have come away less cynical than others. They essentially want the same exact thing, just under different circumstances, is what I've realized being here between both parties. That's Trinity Gordon. But now, here's Angie Hogue reflecting on the same conversations with the exact same representatives. I don't know. I think they don't want the same thing. And I think that with these interviews, something I've found is some things sound exactly the same from both sides, and you're going, so what's the difference? So I'd like to see both together to actually see what they do and, and whether or not these people are just trying to appeal to what we have said or are believing. So there you have it. The students have totally different takeaways. Some think both parties actually want the same things, like safe schools. Lawmakers simply have different methods to achieve these goals. Or they just make similar noises, the same high-sounding words, so they won't alienate any constituents or backers. Maybe. But in this case, less than a week after we're in D.C., President Trump signs the Fix Nix Amendment into law. At least some progress was made, thanks to a large degree to Senator Cornyn. To attend the National Rifle Association's annual convention, you have to be an official NRA member. That's because it's not a convention per se. It's officially a meeting just for members. So it's May 4th, 2018, and here we are, signing in at the K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center in downtown Dallas. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good. You just joined? Yes, ma'am. Have a good time. Thank Thank you. you. As we mentioned in an earlier podcast, Cry Havoc has been requesting interviews with the NRA since January and gotten no response. Now it's May. So Mara Richards-Bim simply bought a dozen NRA memberships for herself and the entire cast. That's why they're all here, getting their convention badges. You just joined? Yes. Would you like to upgrade? For many of the NRA attendees standing in these long lines, there's no doubt who's the biggest draw. They said, you know, going to the NRA convention and speaking today, that'll be very controversial. It might not be popular. You know what I said? Bye-bye, got to get on the plane. Because we have to do the right thing. This is actually Trump's third time visiting with the NRA members. But now he's the president. The first sitting president in 35 years to address the NRA assembly. All I've heard about the NRA right now is how horrible they are. But I've also been getting this feeling that NRA is different entirely from the members of the NRA. That's Jemiah Parker. She shared that with me about two weeks before the NRA's meeting. Jemiah and Trinity were both especially excited about attending the event. Trinity said she planned to buy a T-shirt. An annual meeting or convention or a rally for a political lobbying group, whatever you want to call this thing, it's still a big, flashy, controversial trade show. It's electric. There are conflicting reports about leadership drama in the NRA and whether dues-paying membership has declined recently. But this place is thronged. The weekend will set an attendance record for the NRA with 87,000 people. Inside the hall, there are 800 exhibitors, 15 acres of guns, gear, promoters, and... It's Donald Trump Jr. Donald Trump Jr. You're not playing. I swear to God. Is it what? That is. 
That is. That was Donald Trump Jr. That was Donald Trump Jr. Oh my God. At this carnival, you can feel the Cry Havoc students riding the energy. Here's Lily Davidson and Cara Lawson. I'm here for the culture. Yeah, I mean, I've already like overheard a lot of people's conversations, and it's really interesting. I heard some people talking about how like they consider Trump their savior. Yeah. I like didn't think people would go that far. You know what I mean? The Cry Havoc actors fan out across the convention floor in teams of two to interview members. They're armed with their new NRA credentials, their audio recorders, and their lists of questions. Mary Bandy and Regina Juarez talk with Eric Matley, a vendor with the company Davenport Guns. I'm just wondering, do you own guns? I do. Awesome. What guns do you own? Shotguns, rifles, uh, handguns, MSRs, as we sell. MSR stands for Modern Sporting Rifle, the gun industry's term for firearms like the popular AR-15s. The versions available to civilians aren't built to military specifications, but they are still semi-automatic rifles firing high-velocity ammunition. On the students' list of questions, the easy ones come first. The touchier ones come later. On that note, what are your thoughts on the Parkland students? On the what? Parkland students? The protesters, the student protesters? Well, this is, this is America. I mean, if you believe that strongly on something, you should protest it. Weeks later, Trinity Gordon recalled how she felt that first day. There were moments where I felt like a kid in a big, giant candy store of guns. Um, I picked up every gun that I could. I had this big, like, AR-15, which is really heavy. I met this really nice man, Bill. He's one of the first people I interviewed. And after I interviewed him, I was, like, excited. I was like, okay, if everyone's like Bill, then this should be fine. It didn't turn out that way. Uh, I was mistaken for the hell. Trinity, who is African-American, says during her first day at the NRA meeting, she was mistaken for a convention center worker, almost all of whom are black or Latino. On top of that, she was repeatedly ignored by folks handing out flyers even though she was wearing a lanyard around her neck that said NRA member. They were handing out papers, and so they handed one to Mars Priest who came, and then they looked at me, and then they just walked past us and then gave the next guy a flyer. And I was like, he just... And so I was like, you know what, that's fine. And then it happened again. The discriminatory behavior didn't stop there. Here's Jemiah Parker on what it was like. I have never been more aware of how of me being black than I was at that convention. Like when we were joking, Jemiah says like, okay, she felt like she wasn't supposed to be there. People, when I interviewed them, people would not look at me. They would turn to the other person I was with and talk to them about the question that I asked them. Yeah. Ultimately, Trinity says that she wasn't that surprised by the NRA members' responses to her. People of color, I think we've been raised to swallow things and just keep going. But for some of the other cast members, it was hard because they had never experienced that kind of disrespect, like up close and personal. They did at the NRA meeting. The young white women complained about condescending mansplaining on the right to carry or the technical specs of a particular gun. One young man even tried to convince Angie Hogue of her need for a self-defense weapon by more or less intimidating her. And then that, this one guy was like, well, you know, you're like, you have to protect yourself. And he like looked at me and he's like, all right, so you're young and uh, uh, probably half my body weight, half my upper body strength. You know, like if I come and like attack you, you don't even stand a chance. 
So let's talk about guns, shall we? That afternoon, during day one of the NRA convention, Kravik's cast attends the Leadership Forum. Over four hours of speeches from NRA firebrands and NRA directors. These include CEO Wayne LaPierre, who is now named, along with three other NRA leaders, in the New York Attorney General's lawsuit, charging them with fraud. The event is sold out. The crowd, which is amped for President Trump, is so excited it's like an audience at a WWE wrestling match. It is fitting that we gather today in the great state of Texas, a place that cherishes their right like no other. During his 45 minutes on stage, the president attacks opponents of his immigration policies. Democrats and liberals in Congress want to disarm law-abiding Americans at the same time they are releasing dangerous criminal aliens and savage gang members onto our streets. These countries send up their worst. Then he offers his solutions to mass shootings. He wants armed guards in schools and highly trained teachers with concealed weapons. He believes mental illness is a chief factor in America's school shootings. But he also believes a visible armed presence would somehow persuade the mentally ill not to kill others. There is no stronger deterrent for a sick individual than the knowledge that their attack will end their life and will end in total failure. And his big takeaway is this. Your Second Amendment rights are under siege, but they will never, ever be under siege as long as I'm your president. President Trump was the star of the show for most attendees. But for Cry Havoc, the real attraction always was someone else. The man they met in Washington, D.C., Senator John Cornyn. And good afternoon, my fellow liberty-loving, responsible, gun-owning, red-blooded Americans. It's great to be with you here in my home state, the state of Texas. Remember earlier how Senator Cornyn said the Sutherland Springs shooting changed everything for him? He touted his Fix Nicks Act to cry havoc during their visit to D.C., but also admitted it wasn't enough when it came to seriously reducing gun violence. Well, in an interview with reporters at the NRA convention, the senator promoted the bipartisan support he garnered for Fix Next, and he stressed the need for improved mental health care instead of just pursuing gun control efforts. But he never mentions any of that in his speech to the leadership forum. Instead, this is what they hear. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you know it's a battle we're in. The Second Amendment is under attack. There are those today trying to shut us up and shut us down. We reached out to Senator Cornyn for comment on all this, but his office declined an interview. In an email, they said Cornyn considers the Fix Nicks Act to be, quote, the accomplishment he's most proud of, unquote. And they called it, quote, the only major reform of the background check system in decades, unquote. We told them the actors were confused about why Cornyn didn't even mention the bill at the convention, despite talking about Sutherland Springs. His office replied, Cornyn did talk about Fixnicks at the convention, just not in his speech at the NRA's leadership forum. Like others in Cry Havoc, Sheldrick Pearl was baffled by the difference between the cordial senator he met in D.C. and the combative Senator Cornyn he hears in Dallas. Now I know, I've seen it firsthand of how politicians worked because 
the John Cornyn that I saw at the coffee and the John Cornyn that I saw at the convention was two totally different people. Trinity was surprised as well. He, oh my God, John Cornyn really, and I'm a schmoozer. I can schmooze people. And so I know when I'm being schmoozed and he schmoozed me. He schmoozed the schmoozer. And like the first day at the NRA convention, when I saw him, he was like a whole nother person. He wasn't like that charming Republican man that I fell in love with. And Okay, so the students catch a politician playing to different sides on an issue. This probably shouldn't come as a big shock. No, but in D.C., Cornyn told them to their faces about how he wished he could do more to curtail gun violence. In Dallas, he takes on the same defiant and battled tone of President Trump and NRA leadership. And by the end of four hours of speeches like this, the students feel a little beleaguered. Lily Davidson. I feel like once you've heard one of the speeches from today, you've heard all of them because it was basically just the same rhetoric replayed over and over again in different voices. Even so, over the next two days, Cry Havoc students personally encounter vendors and NRA members whose views don't reflect those heard in the leadership forum. Gun owners, for instance, who find background checks a sensible precaution. My name is Exerial Batista. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, and I'm 18 years old. Bautista tells Cry Havoc member Angie Hogue that his family currently owns guns for protection. But he hopes to go into competition shooting and own more guns in the future. Do you believe in universal background checks? Uh, yes, I believe in the enforcement of universal background checks. I don't believe in any more background checks, but they need to be enforced. Then, on the last day of the NRA convention, Cry Havoc gets thrown out. A gun vendor, Charles Brown, President of High Point Firearms complains to security personnel. The students are asking questions and taping answers without official press passes. I'm just saying the fact that they didn't have press credentials and they were they were interviewing people about their opinions was it's just it's just not the how you follow the rules here. You know, that's all. It's true, Hadi. The students didn't have press passes like you and I did. But they are official card-carrying NRA members, and the NRA website displays no rules restricting members from asking each other questions or taping each other. Besides, it's a convention. Vendors are hustling tons of stuff to people. There are seminars and auctions, and at any moment that weekend, we saw dozens, if not hundreds of members asking questions, photographing, and taping each other. And posting their videos and images all over social media. But Cry Havoc getting removed like this by Dallas police officers? It's an abrupt end to the students' visit with the NRA. And the fact is, since that first day, when they sat through all those hours of angry speeches, even the students who've supported gun rights all along have been feeling less supportive. Trinity Gordon. Like, I went home and I felt so, so nasty. Like, I I took a very long shower. And my mom was like, you're not going to agree with a lot of these people, but you have to respect, you know, their viewpoints, even if they don't respect yours. Jemiah Parker also talks about her entire experience at the convention. And I felt like that convention was your time to be like, yes, let let me show you what guns really are and this, that, and the other. And... They didn't welcome me like that. I wasn't included in the Second Amendment or the right to be protected. I knew that. When they talk about you have the right to Second Amendment and you have the right to protect yourselves and you got to save the government from taking your guns, I, I honestly think that they mean 
don't take the white people's guns, basically. On the next episode of Gunplay. I'm a drama teacher, and hearing the other um, teacher interviews, it's it's really hard because I'm picturing my students. And, um, but I'm so glad that they made this because there needs to be more conversation about this topic, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm here. <laughs> Gunplay was created and hosted by Jerome Weeks and me, Hadi Mawagdi. AC Valdez is our editor. Michaela Rodriguez produced it. Anne Bothwell leads Art and Seek. Delta Spirit let us use their song, Hold My End Up, as our theme. And Joe Casera provided additional music. Thanks to Jeff Penfield, Eric Bright, Alan Melson, Justin Bowers, Chris Anderson, Domini Davis, Gabrielle Jones, Elizabeth Mayong, Christy Robinson, Lauren Menking, Megan Kilgore, and Anita Modi. Special thanks to the members of Cry Havoc Theatre Company. Gunplay is a production of KERA and Guns in America. Guns in America is supported by a grant from the Candida Fund, a foundation that invests in transformative leaders and ideas, empowering communities to enhance equity, vibrancy, resourcefulness, and resilience. <laughs>